Hey, it's Mike, and this podcast is brought to you by Legion, my line of naturally sweetened and flavored workout supplements. Now, as you probably know, I'm really not a fan of the supplement industry. I've wasted thousands and thousands of dollars over the years on worthless supplements that basically do nothing. And I've always had trouble finding products actually worth buying. And especially as I've gotten more and more educated as to what actually works and what doesn't. And eventually after complaining a lot, I decided to do something about it and start making my own supplements. The exact supplements I myself have always wanted. A few of the things that make my products unique are one, they're 100% naturally sweetened and flavored, which I think is good because while artificial sweeteners may not be as harmful as some people claim. There is research that suggests regular consumption of these chemicals may not be good for our health, particularly our gut health. So I like to just play it safe and sweeten everything with stevia and erythritol, which are natural sweeteners that actually have health benefits, not health risks. Two, all ingredients are backed by peer-reviewed scientific research that you can verify for yourself. If you go on our website and you check out any of our product pages, you're going to see that we explain why we've chosen each ingredient and we cite all supporting evidence in the footnotes so you can go look at the research for yourself and verify that we're doing the right thing. Three, all ingredients are also included at clinically effective dosages, which are the exact dosages used in those studies that prove their effectiveness. This is very important because while a molecule might be proven to, let's say, improve your workout performance, not all dosages are going to improve your workout performance. If you take too little you're not going to see any effects. You have to take the right amounts. And the right amounts are the amounts proven to be effective in scientific research. And four, there are no proprietary blends, which means you know exactly what you're buying when you buy our supplements. All of our formulations are 100% transparent in terms of ingredients and dosages. So if that sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, then go to www.legionathletics.com. That's L-E-G-I-O-N athletics.com. And if you like what you see and you want to buy something, use the coupon code code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and you will save 10% on your order. Also, if you like what I have to say in my podcast, then I guarantee you'll like my books. I make my living primarily as a writer, so as long as I can keep selling books, then I can keep writing articles over at Muscle for Life and Legion and recording podcasts and videos like this and all that fun stuff. Now, I have several books, but the place to start is Bigger, Leaner, Stronger if you're a guy and Thinner, Leaner, Stronger if you're a girl. Now, these books, they're basically going to teach you everything you need to know about dieting, training, and supplementation to build muscle, lose fat, and look and feel great without having to give up all the foods you love or live in the gym grinding away at workouts you hate. And you can find my books everywhere. You can buy books online like Amazon, Audible, iBooks, Google Play, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and so forth. And if you're into audiobooks like me, you can actually get one of my audiobooks for free with a 30-day free trial of Audible. To do that, go to www.muscleforlife.com forward slash audiobooks. That's musclefor.life.com forward slash audiobooks, and you'll see how to do this. So thanks again for taking the time to listen to my podcast. I hope you enjoy it, and let's get to the show. Hey, hey, this is Mike Matthews from MuscleForLife.com. 
Thanks for stopping by. Welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I am going to be interviewing Dr. Richard Lee from GeneSolve. Uh, GeneSolve is a company that Kelly Starrett actually turned me on to when he was on the show. Uh, sounded interesting, so I went and checked them out, and then I got real interested and contacted them to uh, get Dr. Lee on the show and kind of talk about not just what GeneSolve does, but just genetics and how they affect our health and our ability to perform in general. So Dr. Lee received his MD from Michigan State University in 1988 following bachelor and graduate studies at Stanford. Uh, He was the first resident recipient of the Star Physician Award for Excellence in Patient Care from San Jose Medical Center, and he won an award in teaching excellence from Stanford Family Medicine in 2001. Through his entire 25-year medical history, he's always taken a special interest in body chemistry, and as you'll see, he knows his stuff, and he's a, he's a pretty cool dude. He was, he was fun to interview. So I hope you like the podcast, and let's get to it. Okay, Dr. Lee, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to have you because uh, this is, uh, the, the work that you're doing is very interesting, and, and the, the, this is an area that I don't know that much about, so I look forward to learning something myself. Well, hopefully. Hopefully I can, I can teach you something and, and, and have fun at the same time. Yeah, I think so. Um, all right, so, so your mission at GeneSolve is, isn't just to help people improve their health, uh, but more to help them kind of achieve the absolute best levels of health and performance possible, right, to kind of optim, optimize the human body. Yeah, that, that's the word we use a lot, and I think if there's one word to describe what we do, that would be it, optimizing. Um, if we use an automotive uh, metaphor, it's like performance tuning, which actually I used to do before medicine. Hmm. And the whole idea is to, to get the most out of every human being uh, that you possibly can without harming and without increasing the wear and tear and, um, and, and have him last a whole lot longer because of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that whole world is something just in general that's very interesting to me because you have uh, obviously there are a lot of there are a lot of people that are looking to to achieve that, and therefore, with people willing to spend money and spend time, you have a lot of bullshit out there. Um, oh, yeah. You know that all kinds of snake oil supplements and weird routines and weird diets and blah blah blah. But there actually is a legitimate science to to improving the body, uh, improving the performance of the body, and, and you'll see that a lot. Obviously, like with um, I'll, I'll, I'm. I email or, or social media with quite a few professional athletes, and it's always interesting to hear what kind of things they're doing because they need to, as you're saying, squeeze out. I mean, if they're, if they're looking to just improve some aspect of their performance by by 3%, that can mean quite a bit when, when their livelihood is on the line. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, the, but you, when you mention these athletes, they're looking at for one thing or another – and this is, a, this is a problem. The science is very complex because mm-hmm. it isn't just one thing or another. No physiologic system works in a vacuum or in isolation. So we try and simplify the solution, but we're still using very complex science to do it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be – you've probably read the book, The Sports Gene. Um, not cover to cover, but yeah. Oh, so you're familiar with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm to be yeah. having uh, the author on the po- on the next podcast. And just that, I mean, you start di- delving into the genetics and you start, it's just, it gets so complex as you're saying. Uh, and and there are so many different variables to, to, to account for. So how do you go about uh, doing that? How do you go about kind of pinpointing, you know, what you can do to uh, improve people's health and improve the performance and how do you do it? Well, it's interesting because the answer, the first answer may be an unexpected one. We get a really good history. Hmm. I mean, people are focused on all this uh, quantified self and, and, and data and labs and measurements. And yes, we do that. But um, 
I'm a third generation physician in my family. There's seven doctors before me. Wow. And, and, and my grandfather um, was renowned for being an excellent diagnostician back in the days when you didn't have the tools. And um, he told me in my youth, you can get 90% of what's wrong with someone by getting a really good history, knowing to ask the right questions. So mm. we start with that. It, 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 in many ways, it doesn't matter what your lab is now if we don't know what you were before. Hmm. Uh, we want to know what happened with you in the past. We want to know what, what you're feeling now. And that way we get a better idea of what systems are wrong. We use that, his, that history uh, very carefully in a very elegant expert system. It's basically applying artificial intelligence to a complex set of answers to come up with a list of up to 38 different conditions that could be going wrong with you that if you went to your doctor, they say, you're normal, your labs are normal, there's nothing really that far out of whack, go away, you're just getting old. Wow. So starting with that history, we get a, a, a real jump start on what could be going wrong. We back it up with very specific labs. We're not shotgunning everything. We only use labs for items that we have that are actionable, that we can change, and for systems that we need to monitor. And in almost every case, the labs absolutely confirm everything we find in the historical diagnosis. Uh, on top of that, we throw in genomics. We don't do the entire genome, and we don't even do huge genotyping because what we're interested in, again, are the genomics that we can do something about. Right. And, and your genes, they, they're like the blueprint of your house, but they don't tell you how well the house is built or who's repairing it. So um, it's not your genes, it's what you do with them, and we figured out what to do with that as well. That's, that's really fascinating. What, what kind of results do you see? Like what, what type of changes do people uh, in, their, in, in performance or health biomarkers or even overall well-being? Or? Well, that's probably one of the most satisfying things. And um, our, our marketing people, um, when they talk uh, to patients and uh, they get a taste of what I, what I had 20 years of getting a taste of, which people saying, I never thought I could feel that much better. Wow. Or, or I haven't felt this good in 20 years. Or um, I just can't believe I sleep better. I think better. My, my mind is sharper. My mood is better. I don't yell at my wife. I don't yell at my kids. Um, I wake up in the morning with energy. I'm, I don't hurt so much. And when I do do something physical, um, I'm, I'm getting away with going much better, much longer, much faster with less pain and, and feeling better the next day, whereas before I might be crushed. So yeah. whether it's, 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 and, and what I think is so cool about that is, and this is actually funny enough, this is kind of a, an idea for a book that I want to write. Uh-huh. It's been, it's been the ideas out there. It's been done different in different ways, whenever, but that is what you're, what you're describing where, while it sounds, uh, it's, it's definitely extraordinary. It's not, that's not the, the average person. That's not how they live. They don't live saying I have, I wake every, every, wake up every day with, you know, a bunch of energy. I'm pain free. I always feel great. I'm mentally clear, but that's how I would say that's how things are actually supposed to be. If, if you can really, uh, you know, give your body what it needs and you can, uh, you know, eat, eat the things you need to eat. You, you can supplement the way you need to supplement. You can exercise the way you need to exercise. Um, and you know, of course there are other lifestyle factors that could come into, come into play, but I think that's awesome because I think that that is, that's what people should be striving for. Not just, Oh, you know, yeah, right. That would be, you know, it's as if that's like science fiction stuff that maybe in a hundred years we'll, we'll ever be able to, to experience, you know? Yeah, it's, it's fun because it's here now. And, you know, you mentioned all the things that people are supposed to do right, eat, eat right, exercise right. Uh, uh, notice a lot of people don't talk about sleeping right. Mm. Um, 
so many other things. And the issue there is, again, um, going back to the history, is what kind of damage have you done? If, if you're eating, doing anything right now, that's fine. But you know, in your car, did you, did you, did you rip out the undercarriage and not know it? Um, mm. you, know, is, is the, you may be fueling it right and driving it right, but are the tires worn? Is a, is a, drive, is a clutch slipping? Um, those things in a physical metaphor are what we find from the history in the labs that, that go well beyond what you can get from just sort of looking at the surface. That's interesting. And could you give me an example? Just, I'm just curious. Like, what is, what's an example of something that you would find in someone's history that they've done that has caused, uh, you know, damage that needs to be repaired? And then how do you actually go about doing that? Uh, I'm just curious. <laughs> okay, great question. Well, um, you know, I don't know anyone who lives a stress-free life or yeah. who lives a trauma-free life. And those things accumulate. Um, little traumas, big traumas. It could, be, it could be a car crash. It could be a divorce. It could be um, working under a boss who's a workplace bully. Any and all those things. The, the, the first thing is stress. We've learned to historically quantify it. From that, that builds a diagnosis. And then we look at, at the markers of that. Hmm. Number one, in most cases, is the stress hormone cortisol. Uh, we measure it not only once but four times a day because it has a different pattern. Cortisol does so many well, it can do some good things for energy, energy, but it does so many bad things. Uh, it raises blood sugar. It, yeah. it beats down serotonin, which leads to depression. It steals from your sex hormones. You, you won't make them if your body's creating cortisol, and it all comes from your cholesterol. So uh, the stress hormone and the stress response has a huge cascade effect on your entire neurologic system and on your entire endocrine system. And if you don't, if you don't measure it, you don't know how to fix it. If you don't fix it, you'll never get what you want out of your body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, it's funny because, uh, it's actually something I wanted to ask after, after the podcast, my wife has run into problems with that because our son just doesn't sleep. I mean, she takes care of him at night. I'm, I'm up early and I'm working all day. She takes care of him and he wakes her up a lot at night. And, uh, because she hasn't been sleeping uh, really, oh, really correctly for a long time, like she actually just recently got blood tested and her cortisol levels are too high. And then it was this, the exact same, the doctor that, that we're seeing, is, is a pretty smart guy, and, and he also does a, a whole, like, history analysis thing, not the same as yours, but he, he does go about it that way, almost like a, a Hippocratic type of, of method. But um, uh, so anyways, I, I, I see firsthand what that can do if, if cortisol levels get out of whack and you just have, you know, chronic high cortisol levels just really messes with the body. Yeah, and then we've also got, I mean, that's the whole, the, the sex hormone and adrenal system. We've also got the thyroids to deal with. Um, there are, um, you know, most people have, have at one time in their life a dysfunction in their thyroid. It only gets worse with age. Hmm. Um, and you, you need to treat that. You can't treat it in a vacuum. You have to treat it with the adrenals. Um, thyroid and vitamin D. This is a vitamin. Both of these, if they're off, they'll affect the production and the regulation of your sex hormones. Oftentimes, if you correct those, you can bring someone out of a, a low testosterone or low estrogen state if you understand how they affect that. So, you know, these are just a few examples. Um, we haven't even got into neurotransmitters or, or, or what the gut does and doesn't do. But you get the idea that yeah. they're all out there and they all affect each other. So you have to understand those relationships to make both a diagnosis and to correct it. Yeah, totally makes sense. So let's talk about uh, eating foods, right? So everybody kind of knows that eating a bunch of nutritious foods and, and exercising also, you can talk about that, you just got to lump it in here, are, are the foundations of good health, but you kind of go a step further by really diving into each individual's uh, chemistry and how to, how to 
change those things to, to fit each person's body's needs. How does that work exactly? Okay. Well, um, on the diet side, you know, we'll start with, uh, first of all, you know, we find out through the questionnaire, do they have any food sensitivities or inflammatory reactions to foods that they're not paying attention to? Hmm. We'll make a diet correction for that. We also include in the genomics the, the best available test to determine if there's a specific diet type that their metabolism would work better with. Can you uh, give me an example of that? I'm sorry, what? Could you give me an example of that? Like, how, like what, are, what are some of the variations that you see? Okay, we, we test routinely for four variations of diet. One is the person who's lucky who could eat, eat almost anything in terms of good quality. Yeah. Others that need to be, and a majority of them need to be on a lower-carb diet. Hmm. Uh, some do well on a Mediterranean diet, which, which is similar to that but has some differences. Right. And others, very few people do well on a low-fat diet. Hmm. You know, you've got... You've got, you know, some people are just born Eskimo. They, they, it's all fat in their diet, and they do well on that. And some are born, you know, Islanders, where it's all fruits and grains. Although that's more of a rarity. So, right, the, their genomic markers for that. Also, their genomic markers that'll tell us um, if they have certain enzyme deficiencies for getting rid of toxins or building neurotransmitters. And we check for those, and we also check the the products of those enzymes and and, and adjust accordingly. So that's that's just the diet side of it. Um, Obviously, we have people who are heading towards diabetes and don't know it. We fix that. And I haven't found a person yet who wasn't um, in need of more vitamin D. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote an article recently about vitamin D. I, I'm always talking about vitamin D. <laughs> <laughs> but we're just not running around naked in the sun enough. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what it boils down to. I mean, I, if you... I mean, here I'm in Florida, so I think uh, when I was writing the article, just doing the research, it kind of would boil down to if I were to expose about, I think it was 75 or 80% of my body to the Florida sun in the summer for, I think it was about 20 to 25 minutes a day, then I'd probably be fine. But, you know, yep. who, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not going to go out tanning. When I, <laughs> it's just, I'd rather just supplement, and that's, you know, that's the majority of, of people obviously are deficient because they don't supplement and they don't get in the sun enough and that's it. There's no other way. Yeah. And now we're worried about, well, also, you know, we're worried about skin cancer and, you know, some, maybe the, the ultraviolet light uh, consistency has changed in, in our exposure as well. So you, you were safer to go out and run around naked a thousand years ago than you are now. Hmm, that's an interesting point. Um, quickly, I wanted to, I wanted to say something about sure. this on on low carb. So, do you find because in my, uh, I mean, there's there's looking at the the literature and then just working with people. I find that if if a person because carbs are primarily energetic, uh, if you don't move your body, if you're not exercising much, especially if you're not training your muscles, which you know obviously just through the storage of glycogen. I mean that that's a big carb sink a bit and, and that's a big uh major use for the body is is the muscles doing things um where i find that people that are weightlifting frequently and you know probably doing cardio as well just cut type of people that i that i generally work with and email with m tend to do better on a higher carbohydrate diet in and 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 that's quantified by or how they qual i mean maybe it's more just a qualitative thing like in terms of what they say is better and i've had quite a few people come to me on a low carb diet where they found that they're where they they felt okay throughout the day but their workouts suffered and when they switched to a higher carbohydrate diet um and and once again i'm also a big proponent of getting the majority of your calories from nutritious foods um just because you can eat junk food and maintain a low percent of body fat doesn't mean you should do it there are other things to take into account um, 
that they find when they switch from a low-carb to a high-carb diet that their strength dramatically improves, uh, that they find it much easier to build muscle. They find if, they're, if they're dieting to lose weight, they find that um, it provides more satiety. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious what, what your thoughts uh, well, are. Well, these are, again, you're dealing with active athletes. Mm. And in that case, it is true because they are burning the, the, that fuel and you, can't, um, you can only burn fat at a certain rate, and you need carbs as a substrate to burn fat anyway. Right. Protein is mainly there to sort of buffer the, the whole carb um, intake into your body. It's mainly there to buffer the insulin response. Right. And these people, the majority of them, have really good insulin responses anyway. So um, for a sedentary person, most of them are going to do better with a low-carb diet. But yes. for an athlete, you got to f- you – know, if the muscle doesn't get fuel, it isn't going to work. It isn't going um, to grow. Um, so, yeah, in essence, yes, for, for that subset, which is probably most of the people who are listening to you, yeah. the main thing is to keep the quality of those carbs as good as possible and be mindful of the fact that, that there may be foods that you don't tolerate as well that, that you don't know until you stop them or, or, stop, or replace them. Right, yeah, yeah, totally. That, that's exactly what I've found and what I've uh, always recommended is uh, if, if for sedentary people, I mean, the, how many carbs do you really need if you're not, if you're not exercising? I mean, 50, maybe 60 grams a day, and you could really just get it from vegetables probably? Well, ideally, you may need some, you know, some brown starches, brown carbs basically, just avoid the white ones. Um, I don't think gluten is the cause of every problem from communism to cancer, but a lot of people <laughs> – have an issue with it that they're unaware of while other people think they do when they don't. Yeah, so. I wrote I wrote about that recently where a lot of it where you know you probably saw that study that just came out recently that uh basically what people were reacting to were the were the FODMAPs, the ferment, yeah. fermentable oligosaccharide. I forget the the acronym, but yeah. it, it wasn't the gluten per se, it was a certain type of carbohydrate that that the body couldn't deal with and you'll find that in wheat, but you'll find that in a lot of other sources as well. Like, yeah. like legumes and other things. And when they cut out all that stuff, then their, their irritable bowel symptoms went away. Right. Um, but then it's a lot harder for them to find, a, find food they can eat anywhere at any time. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's, I, I've emailed with some people that run into that, ran into that issue and I forwarded them along to the article and it was a pain for them to kind of work out their meal plan, but they were having enough problem, having enough problems where it was like they had to do something and, yeah. you know, by cutting out all those types of, of carbs, it, it, calm their their digestive system down and you know it, i don't know if you've seen this but i've seen this that where if, if somebody is they their their gut is all inflamed and they do find what their body's reacting to and they get rid of a lot of that stuff and everything chills out and they're able to slowly introduce things back in without any problems well yeah i mean i've seen it measuring antibody levels in true celiac disease the farther from exposure the more it drops in fact, some people who have celiac disease, been gluten-free, maybe just out of luck all their life, would have low antibodies and be missed, um, except when they eat a loaf of bread, they're obviously screwed, or, or, yeah, or pizza yeah. and beer. Yeah. So, and, and the other thing we have to think about, it's not just what you eat, is, is what are you feeding? We're just touching the tip of the whole system, you know, the metabiome, all those critters in your gut. Mm. And uh, when you travel, they change. When you take antibiotics, they change. Uh, um, God knows for whatever reason they change, and uh, we're trying to learn one to identify those. We're, we're not there yet, but getting we're, we're we're watching that. And two, how do you how do you correct for that? Hmm. Um, those those little critters can um, can increase uptake of certain foods. They can pass excess carbs that you normally wouldn't absorb right through your gut, and that may be the cause of some people's obesity. They can also upregulate neurotransmitters, not just uh, GABA, which reduces anxiety, but also serotonin. Hmm. So um, 
we're, we're looking at that. We, we don't have a way to fix it yet, but we're aware and, and hoping to come up with something. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's very interesting. All right, so that's on the dietary side. What about yeah. ex- exercise? What kind of things do you find? Okay. Uh, Again, on exercise, um, we do do a genomic assay to determine, um, first of all, would they benefit more as a rule from strength training or endurance training? Some people benefit more from both. Hmm. Most of those tests, however, are based on population data that looks at things like blood sugar response to exercise and, and lipid response to exercise, right. um, not as much as athletic performance with response to exercise. So we're still working on that one. Sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, gen- your, your body will tend to do better what it does, especially if you get some guidance from a trainer. You'll find out that, that, that you hurt yourself if you work too hard at the wrong thing. What we also look at is, is – uh, what's behind? You know, what's the whole endocrine system behind that? Is everything finely tuned to preserve and maintain all nerve and muscle and bone and and your brain at the same time? So that that's what we're looking at. Yeah, that's super interesting. What kind of things do you, do you find? You find that some people's bodies, like they're gonna health wise, they're just gonna benefit more from weightlifting than cardio, or vice versa. Uh, yes, and generally, if someone's really active. Um, they'll, they'll discover that on their own. Yeah. Um, for our patients who are more sedentary, right. it helps us guide them into, into not wasting time on things. Oh, that makes uh, sense. Yeah, yeah, I mean, my general recommendation is like, of course, you have the maintenance of lean mass. If we're just uh, looking at health as you age is extremely important. Uh, of course, as you know, that's, you know, all cause mortality is just correlated to like the more muscle you lose, the more likely you are to die of something one day. Uh, right. so, so maintaining muscle is important and then, and then doing cardio as well for, for obviously cardiovascular health. And I mean, I've always just kind of done a bit of both. Like I, whether, uh, you know, I, I, I like to, I like to lift weights Been doing it for a long time, but I also enjoy cardio and, you know, it seems, I guess it c- kind of comes back to when you do enough stuff with your body, you do, you can know things, you can, uh, get an idea of, well, it just seems like my body tends to do this or feels better when I'm doing that. And then I'm sure, you know, it could be then actually quantified and measured with something like what you're doing. Uh, yeah. And again, um, most of the people who are probably listening to this are, are fairly athletic yeah. and, and know by now or, or a trainer or someone who's observing them and their exercise would, would have a good idea at that point. Um, and, and that's that's their skill and observation. We're, we're look, they're they're looking at the, you know measuring down the drag strip around the course. We're actually looking under the hood. Yeah, yeah, I like that metaphor. So so based on your experience, what are some of the most common things you see that kind of prevent people from from reaching optimal levels of health and performance? Okay, um, well we'll start with again um, going back to history, traumas, past and present. Uh, what were they sub- subject to? Um, one thing that really has, affects a lot of people is uh, brain trauma. Even if uh, they haven't been in, you know, seriously in, hospitalized for it, concussions can, um, in very subtle ways, uh, bruise the pituitary gland, and all of the, all the endocrine systems downstream from that will, will not be stimulated or, or told to work as hard as they should. So wow. uh, that history sets a pattern to watch out for. The stress level they're on will tell me, um, how much their cortisol is going to be affected by this? Is it going to be too high, or do they have their adrenals already burned out, mm. or are they only burned out in the morning when you need them the most? So um, their sleep patterns will tell me about their adrenal uh, issues as well, and that's all. And then what they eat, um, you know, gives us a, a hint what they crave, what makes them feel good or bad. That's the start, and then um, you know, we we look at all the other neuroendocrine balances. We're, we're talking about um, the 
vitamins, like I said, vitamin D. We look at proteins um, that are pre-hormones, D-H-E-A-S. We look downstream into uh, you know, estrogen, testosterone, progesterone. We look at the proteins that hold those hormones hostage, sex hormone binding globulin, often raised by stress or raised by someone who's taking an external hormone and right. not doing it in the right way. Right. Yeah. So, and we're finding all those can be off. Interesting. And what would you say, like, you mentioned sleep a few times. Is that, do you find that a lot of people are not sleeping correctly or not sleeping enough? Or is that like a common thing you run into? Yeah. I mean, you talk to a lot of people and they'll just say, oh, well, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, that may happen <laughs> sooner than you think. Or, or, or you'll be a zombie before then. You don't even have to die. Um, <laughs> you know, there are a couple things. One is um, everyone is just trying to cram too much of what they need to do and things they don't need to do into a day. You know, there's some benefits to the internet, but it's really screwing with people's sleep. Yeah. And the biggest uh, culprit there is that blue screen that's staring back at you. And it doesn't matter if it's a 50-inch plasma or a three-inch smartphone. Yep. That blue glow goes to your brain. It says it's daylight. You don't go to sleep until two hours after that. Or even if you do knock out, your REM sleep won't start until sometime later. So yeah, because it messes with melatonin, right? Yeah, it messes. Well, it goes more than that. There's a, it goes to a little part of the brain called the suprachiasmic nucleus, which, which regulates melatonin, but even melatonin can't overdrive that day-night cycle if you've got it too burned into your brain. It, right. it helps. And then, again, your, um, your growth hormone only works in those first REM cycles. Right. Your brain recycles um, and makes serotonin during sleep. Your immune system will only communicate more effectively when you're sleeping. All those T-cells get together like a bunch of special ops guys, and they, they – yeah, and they, they, they set who's a target and who's, who's – um, not to be damaged. And if they don't get those communications, they don't go after the right targets and you get sick more often and they damage the wrong ones, you get more inflammatory disease. Wow. All that happens when you sleep right. And, and for sleeping right, I mean, is that just kind of the standard seven to nine hours? And uh, is there any, well, any, anything else, any other like mistakes, interesting things that, that you know, get in the way of good sleep? That Jeez. Well, I don't know if I've had seven hours in the last 20 years, but um, anyway, <laughs> it, it, it really is it's, – it's not just the quantity of sleep. It's the quality of sleep. Uh-huh. Um, the things you – know, their history will tell us we don't treat medical problems, so we're not throwing um, you know, Ambien or, or, or Lunesta at these people. They, sure. they may come to us on that. But um, what we will do is we'll find that we can, we can bring down the high evening cortisol that creates the monkey mind. Hmm. We can turn on increased production of their brain's uh, GABA so that it also shuts down the monkey mind and the anxiety and, and just puts them in a restful state through their own neurotransmitters rather than something we're doing to try and manipulate them. Right. And so if, if a person is in a better state in terms of neurotransmitters, then you're saying that the quality of the sleep is going to be higher and they won't necessarily need as, as much as somebody else? Correct. Right. It's a matter of quality and quantity. Now, everyone's different, but yeah. in, our, in our question, we ask questions to determine if someone actually has sleep apnea or a non-REM or non-apnea sleep disorder. By, you know, and we're getting, you have older women athletes. Once they're, they're starting, their ovaries are starting to go into retirement, we, we tell them they're all heading south to Florida. Um, <laughs> what happened? Yeah, they're looking at those uh, condo brochures. Yeah. Um, the estrogen starts to drop, and it's very important for sleep. A common problem that's never addressed in, in pre and perimenopausal, pardon me, in peri and postmenopausal women with insomnia is it's due to low functioning estrogen. And because you know, we're all outliving our gonads, unfortunately, women live much longer than theirs and we without theirs than we do. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I, I didn't know that, actually. I didn't know that. Oh, that there's yeah. There's a correlation um, there with, with, with estrogen. 
Um, and you, you had mentioned cravings now, uh, uh-huh, just because yes. I'm, I'm curious about that because it's something that is on my list of things to research. I get asked about it. Um, what can you tell us about how f- cravings, various types of foods, like, does it mean anything? I've heard so many things. Yes. I don't even know what to think. You know what I mean? Yeah, it does. In fact, um, yesterday I did a, a, a long, um, Skype, uh, video inter- interview on that. And it, craving starts at many different levels. First of all, um, our bodies have not evolved that much past the Neanderthal or cave person stage. Mm-hmm. We are still, um, bred in, and, and predisposed to craving salt and fat. And, and to some degree, sugar. Right. Um, salt and fat being the most uh, most rare and the most uh, most desired and the most needed when you're when you're trolling the earth trying to hunt and gather what you need to eat. Right. Um, but now it's in abundance. It's everywhere, particularly in the junk foods. And then they've added in the sweeteners, mainly high fructose corn sweetener and other other carbs that that speak to that reptilian brain in us and make us eat more and more of that crap that we don't need to. Mm. Um, we're staying up later, so and and our food, you know, we're usually up past a time that a good restaurant is over open, right. and we don't like to cook, so we we go for something that's quick, and and that's going to be something that's going to be stable on the shelf or stable in the can for a longer period of time right. and more processed, and has more of these these little things that meant, that are intended to help our brains eat more of them. So one, um, we haven't evolved uh, as much as we think we have. Two, the food has evolved much faster and it's become much more uh, poor in quality and nutrition. So, and they're being sold and, and, and actually um, put together, if you will, or manufactured in a way that will crave things more and more based on those preferences from 10,000 years ago. Yeah, I mean, That's, that makes sense from a business standpoint when you, if you have no scruples. I mean, you need people addicted yeah. to your stuff and you need them buying it, you know, as much as possible. So figure it okay, out. So we got that. Then... You've got the issue of people will, will have cravings to try and, and feed something. You know, um, uh, smokers by you know want want more dopamine in their brain, and nicotine turns that on. There are also foods that do that. Hmm. Um, a lot of people when they crave carbohydrates, it will briefly upregulate serotonin in the brain. I said briefly. Right. Um, serotonin is a chemical that provides calm, order, and hope to the brain. The problem is when they keep spiking the taking those carbs uh, or sweets to spike the serotonin. Cortisol starts to rise. The blood sugar goes on a roller coaster, and after a while, the cortisol actually poisons serotonin through another neurotransmitter called glutamate. You know, not not too far from monosodium glutamate, but this is inside the brain. So, right. um, they're trying to feed their serotonin by little bits of sugar. They're trying to feed dopamine by by again fats or certain sugars, um, and they'll they'll crave things their body needs. Uh, one example that that surprised me. Um, in 1991, I was, I was a physician for the National Geographic Everest Expedition, and our chief scientist has always been a vegetarian, yet at the, in, in the dining tent, he was just scarfing down smoked salmon that was there, and wasn't even aware of it. He was just picking at it and talking, and, and we, we brought that to his attention, and um, very smart guy, and he realized what he was craving was omega-3 fatty acids. Right. And you're not going to get that from uh, lentils and rice, which is the main Sherpa fare there. And he needed that to preserve his blood-brain barrier so he wouldn't get cerebral edema at altitude. Right. So, so we do crave things. Um, the problem is the foods that we should crave are being hijacked by the, the, the other cravings, the cravings for sweets and, and, and crunchy, salty, uh, fatty things. Yeah, and that's interesting because my experience, uh, I, I eat uh, – I, I eat very well. Um, I you know eat uh, probably – 
I'd say three or four servings of vegetables a day and I kind of mix them up and, you know, um, I don't eat, I eat a little bit of sugar here and there. Maybe it's like some chocolate or something like that. A high protein diet. And I've been doing this for a long time. I don't eat any, uh, like I, I, I eat mainly organic foods, which is a whole nother subject. I actually need to write an article on it, but, mm-hmm. um, and my primary reason for that is because, I mean, a new study just came out. I just saw it just uh, the other day. It was, um, organic produce and I think it was whole grains and the produce and whole grains had a bit more, the organic had a bit more nutrients and uh, a bit less heavy metals and other toxins. Um, and I don't eat any fast food. So I, I have a pretty clean diet. Um, and I don't ha- I never crave like, I'll, I'll go out once a week. If I'm going to go to a restaurant, I'll probably eat a dessert, and it's going to be sugary, and it's going to be good, and that's it. Hopefully, so it's chocolate. It. I, I. I am pretty into chocolate, but you know okay. I'll, what I'll do is I'll beat like I, if I'm doing one meal a week where I'm just going to kind of eat whatever, and then I'll if I do something chocolatey, you know, six weeks in a row, then I'm going to change it up. But oh. uh, so my my if I were to say I have any sort of craving, which I, I don't even know if I'd really call it a craving, but I look forward to healthy, nutritious foods. Like I, when I think about that, that is appetizing to me. When I think about, you know, right now, if, uh, if I'm getting a little bit hungry, I think about eating a candy bar. It doesn't even, I, I wouldn't want, I, I would much rather go home and make my dinner with potatoes and vegetables and chicken. That is good to me. So is that like, I guess that's more how it's supposed to that's be. That's how it's supposed to be. Um, you know, you may be lucky that, that, that your sleep is pretty good, that you manage your stress fairly well. Mm. And, um, Again, even, even if you eat well, the stress goes up. What mm-hmm. happens is cortisol rises, and it, it, it can actually make um, – it can increase what we call the glycemic roller coaster, the blood sugar going up and down and up and down to greater swings. Right. And, and that's where people who even you – know, even the Dalai Lama, uh, given enough stress in his life, um, could end up uh, you know, going for a, a Twinkie now and then. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, highly unlikely. So, um, but anyway, so – yeah, you're lucky in that respect. The problem is there isn't a, there's no meal that you can pull out of a machine or pull out of your yeah. your backpack or your glove box that's that's going to be that good for you that quick. And that's that's the tough part of and most people don't have time to even eat real meals. How many people eat breakfast? Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, it's I I deal with this a lot because, you know, just in in working with people, emailing with people and the what seems to work best is uh, people, they get into the habit of uh, just preparing larger batches of food once or twice a week. And so then they always have stuff, you know, they bring it to the office. And then instead of going for chips, they have some other sort of snack that they've made. Uh, a lot of people, they, they start getting creative with it. They start having fun. You know, they'll make like homemade protein bars or um, wow. Yeah, well, a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's like you know, whatever you throw it all together, you throw it in the oven, or even stuff like I mean, like snack foods where instead of eating whatever, you could go, you could have some some Greek yogurt and some fruit and some nuts or things that you can come to like. I mean, I think uh, there was a guy I forget he wrote a book called The Man Who Ate Everything or Anything mm. Everything I think it was, and basically he made a list of like his top thirty foods that he hated. And like disgusting shit. So stuff that who, <laughs> who eats this stuff, right? Uh-huh. And and he when it was like he planned out his entire year where he had to eat everything. I think it was eight times or whatever. And by the end of it, he found that the, he actually came to enjoy. Uh, it was like a it wasn't all, but it was a lot of the foods that were he hated before. And just by eating it over and over, he just started to like it. So uh, I've found that people that go from a, a very a diet full of processed foods and the type of stuff you're talking about where that's just what they're used to eating. The transition to a healthier diet can be kind of 
uh, jarring to their palates in the beginning, but then if they just stick to it, they start to the body. I don't know. It's like their taste buds just change, and then all of a sudden they think all this food tastes great, and they don't really, you know, maybe they have some junk food here and there, but it's not anything like how it used to be, where they would crave it and they and they hated vegetables and whatever, you know. No, they do. It does get better, and basically, you know, it upregulates their t- like you said their taste buds. They don't need as much sugar. To, to taste sweet, they don't need any sugar. They they don't need to salt the hell out of everything. Yeah, and they'll 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 recognize the subtleties of of what's in there. So um, on that side of it, it's it's true. You know, without going too long into it, you mentioned organic. The big problem there is um, you know, organophosphate pesticides. If you look at any area in the nation where agriculture is very intense and where where winds and and uh, tend to accumulate uh, the dust from agriculture, you'll find the higher degrees of neurodegenerative diseases, including Parkinson's and whatnot. Hmm. So, uh, that, and that's, that's kind of tying into like what glyphosate and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Organophosphates. And, and, you know, there's a real problem with those. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you, one other thing you had mentioned was hormone imbalances this is obviously a very yeah. hot subject these days. You know, testosterone supplement, uh, testosterone clinics are like the latest, greatest thing. And everyone is on TRT. And, you know, I, I, I know people that are in their twenties, early twenties that find, you know, they just want to be on like a, a friend of mine. He recently, I mean, he never, t- he didn't talk to me about it because he probably knew what, knew what I would tell him, but he recently randomly just came up with the idea that he, he just wants to get on te- on T because he's not building muscle fast enough or whatever. So he goes mm-hmm. to the doctor, he gets tested. His, uh, his T was at, I think it was like seven to 800 NGDL. That's fine. <laughs> exactly. What's his problem? Exactly. Totally fine. I think he's 25 ish or something like that. 26 uh-huh. maybe. And, um, but it was just some shady, shady clinic, sh- shady doctor. And there was some like, Oh, but his, his, uh, one of his, maybe it was his sex hormone, but one of, there was somewhat little hormone that was a little bit too high. And then the doctor was like, Oh yeah, sure. Here you go. So now he's on, he's on t- testosterone. Right. And, yep. uh, so with, with that being just like a big, you know, button these days, what are some of the things that you like, what are some of the mis- I don't know if I'd say mistakes, but some of the things that are, that are causing that and, you know, that maybe people could do that could naturally help balance their hormones. Okay. Well, yeah, first, yeah, everyone's so fixated on testosterone. Um, again, going back to mechanic days, um, it's, you know, it's never just that. And, you know, if your car's running lousy, if your engine's out of tune, if you're using crappy fuel and you're driving like an idiot, it doesn't make sense to throw a bigger turbocharger on it on its own. <laughs> that's 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 kind of what the T thing is all about. Yeah. So um, everyone's looking for the quick fix, the, the 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 one thing they can just do and 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 make all the difference. But again, it isn't just testosterone. If the testosterone is truly low, it is a symptom or marker for a whole neuroendocrine system that's that's out of whack. Right. And so typically for most people, it's because their stress is high. They're stealing from their sex, sex hormones to make cortisol as a stress hormone. Mm. Cholesterol is the starting point. It's the mother of all hormones. It goes downstream to DHEA. You could have a low DHEA because it's all going to cortisol. Or your DHEA could be high because your nuts aren't turning it into testosterone. Right. And the question is to ask why. Well, it could simply be that, that you're, you're low in vitamin D. That, that acts like FSH. It acts like a stimulant to your gonads to make all the sex hormones, whether you're male or female. Ditto with thyroid. If, if that's off, it isn't going to rise. So if you correct all the nuanced things around that, lower the cortisol, it needs to be lowered, uh, replace the DHEA or find out why it's being stolen from, or if it's adequate, find out what is not telling your gonads to make the hormones, correct all those things, and your body will 
will make the difference. We've, we've done subtle corrections in thyroid, vitamin D, and DHEA only in a cyclist. His testosterone went from 540 to 910. Wow. Yeah. No testosterone and, and, and nothing He's way out happy. of that, that, that's, that's, yeah, that, that, yeah. I'm sure that's a big change in terms of how he feels and yeah, how he performs. So, so the, the thing is to ask before you start just throwing on testosterone, maybe step back and say, well, why is it off? Yeah. Okay. And, and then is it truly off? You know, I, I have a hard time believing anyone with a testosterone in the 700s, their, their sex hormone binding globulin would have to be through the roof to bring it down. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, you could go into your doctor and have a testosterone that's 500. And by the way, um, insurance companies will, tr- will, will usually pay for testosterone if it's lower than 300. Mm. The endocrinologist would like at least 400. But you could have a testosterone. I've had patients with testosterone in 540. But because that protein, sex hormone binding globulin, was so high, it brought their free testosterone down to about 4. And the, the normal range is 9 to 30. Wow. These are all in nanograms per deciliter. So. Yeah, yeah. If you'd never measure sex hormone binding globulin, you won't get the accurate um, measure of the, the testosterone. And we can lower sex hormone binding globulin, not by drugs, but by a couple supplements. Interesting. Like what? Well, probably the one with the, with the, the, the strength of association isn't huge. Um, the, the one that seems to have evidence is the extract of stinging nettle, hmm. which also tends to work for food sensitivities. Um, also, uh, uh, some, some authors say, I'm still looking for real good proof, but we found it anecdotally, is, is by taking a supplement called phosphatidylserine. I've heard which of that, is yeah. Phos- yeah. Phosphatidylserine does lower evening cortisol. And by doing that, it may indirectly uh, take away the theft of cortisol and, and, and push it back down towards testosterone. Um, so we know it does that. We definitely know it improves memory. There's very strong evidence of that in, in randomized clinical trials. So... Those are the two things we do, but we also try and change people's sleep and behavior patterns right. so they aren't stealing from their hormones so much in the first place. Right. That makes sense. So uh, that, that's how we deal with sex hormone binding globulin. And you know, a lot of people, if we've had uh, refugees from some of these, uh, these clinics where all they're getting is growth hormone and testosterone in injections. Yep. And, and that you're getting hormone spikes all the time. And we find their thyroids are out of whack. Their adrenals are actually trashed. And, and they're only getting half the benefit they would with a testosterone is 150% over the upper limit of normal. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, more isn't always better. There, there's a degree of awesomeness. And when you go beyond that in testosterone level, you start getting feeling worse again and, and, and really end up being stupid and sick. Yeah. I mean, so that, that's, I, know, I, know, I know in the bodybuilding community, of course, because there's all kinds of drug abuse that goes on. Uh, that's, that's a known thing that when you really start, yeah. when you really start blasting your tea, your immune system goes to shit, your body, you just, you just don't feel, you don't feel very good. But then, you know, they're on so many other drugs in some cases right. too. It's it, like, it's a mess. Yeah, but that's their addiction, you know, and, um, yeah. it's a psychological thing. I mean, I, I talk to guys that, um, you know, they don't care. They talk about it and they're all the different type of drugs they're on. And one for one, they just talk about that. They, they wish they never started because now. They life off of drugs is is it doesn't you know how they feel when they're on the drugs you know they feel invincible and then now they they can't they can't enjoy life without the drugs and that sucks. Yeah, how many bodybuilders do you know aside from Jack Lalanne that ever made it to eighty? Yeah, okay. <laughs> all, all you so, hear about are guys that their hearts explode or their their livers fail or their kidneys fail. Yeah, and so you know as a, you might write an article about a, a business model for a. 
a, a, an addiction clinic for bodybuilders as opposed to uh, you know drug or alcohol addiction or, or what have you or eating disorder. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a business I don't want to get into. Yeah. All right. Um, more questions. What can I what can I answer for you? Uh, well, actually, we're running on just about 40, 50 minutes or here. I, whenever I go too long, people go, "Oh, you got to keep it shorter. You got to keep it shorter." So I think this is a good point to just wrap up. So um, if somebody wants to get a full rundown of their health from your company, from GeneSolve, like how does that work? What's the process? Okay, they. They sign up and they they get an initial valuation. And but is it in person? Like they have to come to you? Or? Yeah, they have to see a physi- They have to see a healthcare professional. One of our doctors. Okay. Currently, we have them in California and Texas. Okay. I mean, we have people coming from as far away as New York. We haven't had anyone come from Europe yet. Yeah, I, uh, I want to come. This sounds awesome. Sure. Well, uh, yeah, the best way is you know to come in because we are we are making diagnoses, real yeah. diagnoses. You can't do that without a health professional. And they have to look at you. You know, some states we can Skype that; yeah. others we can't. So, yeah. um, and you, you've got to get an, an eye on the person anyway. You get a much better sense of what's going on with them. So, you know, we hope to expand to the point where we're in as many states as people want to have us. Yeah. Um, we're, we're early on in that, but um, so they come to see us. Um, they actually fill out this questionnaire that feeds into the expert system. We get labs, we get the genomics, and then we sit down with them and we do a, a brief exam. You know, most of these people are pretty darn healthy. Um, and then we, um, we tell them what's wrong with them, and then we come up with a tailored plan as to what to fix. That's great. And, and who is this for? I mean, I, I, it sounds like it's for not just people with problems, but people that, you know, it, they could be healthy, they can be athletes, whatever, and they just want to get more out of their bodies. Well, yeah. It's, like I said, it, we, we don't treat disease. We're actually preventing it by doing this, but it's anyone who, who values it. Um, you know, they have to understand what we're doing. They have to be committed to making what lifestyle changes they, they, they can. They have to be compliant with what supplement programs we give them. And if they're on any pharmaceuticals, what we're doing for them. Right. So it's some, they have to have a, a mental commitment to it. And if they do, they're going to see results. So it's anyone who can make it through the door. We're not going to cure all the other stuff. We, we generally do not treat people with active cancer. We're, we're, that, that limits what we can do. Right. Um, I, I, we did take an 11-year-old, and we were helping him out in very subtle things. Um, and our oldest is 75. So it's really a matter of, of, of do you want more and can we provide that for you in, in a lasting and quality way? Yeah, that's great. And I mean, with the type of uh, changes that, that you were talking about just in the beginning of the podcast, it goes much beyond being able to you know, squat an extra 50 pounds or something like that. Oh, hell uh, yeah. It's, it's to live an extra 50 years and have fun every day in as little pain and as much communication and excitement and engagement as possible. Yeah, well, who doesn't want that? You can't, that, that there's the simple, there's the one-line pitch for it. That's great. Okay, cool. Well, thanks a lot for all your information, Dr. Lee. This was awesome. Uh, I learned a lot. I think, I think the, the listeners are going to like it a lot. And um, genesolve.com, right? G-E-N-E-solve.com. It's G-E-N-E-S-O-L-V-E, gene-solve.com. Okay, or just Google GeneSolve and you're going to find it. Um, I think yep. it's, I think it's great what you're doing. I think that there needs, this is the, definitely the, the, where I think the almost just medical profession needs to go where you're integrating. It's not just, Oh, here are drugs. Oh, you know, as you're saying, Oh, here's some, here's some blood work. I don't know things look fine or, Oh, your t- your T's a little bit low here. Go, here's a prescription, have fun kind of thing. Yeah, we, we want to fix it all at the same time in the right proportions. And when you do, it makes a difference. If we could get this to the whole public 
we'd save billions, if not trillions, in healthcare costs that we don't need to spend. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, this was super interesting. My pleasure. Anytime. Hey, it's Mike again. Hope you like the podcast. If you did, uh, go ahead and subscribe. I put out new episodes every week or two um, where I talk about all kinds of things related to health and fitness and general wellness. Also, head over to my website at www.muscleforlife.com where you'll find not only past episodes of the podcast, but you'll also find uh, a bunch of different articles that I've written. Um, I release a new one almost every day, actually. I release kind of like four to six new articles a week. Um, and you can also find my books and everything else that I'm involved in over at muscleforlife.com. All right. Thanks again. Bye.